we're going to be having the teachers run it and these are their specialties and have like kind of a rotation where they can choose from a menu of um, different options and not making the people who are specials stick in with everybody else when it's not applicable because that feels just so patronizing. Um, and you know, as an English teacher, I'm very spoiled. I feel like almost always it has to do with like English or math. Um, but if I were sitting in a class that was trying to explain to me why I had to include math into my curriculum, I think I would cry because math always makes me cry. So I can, I can empathize with the teachers who are like this, I'm a gym teacher. Like this has nothing to do with what I'm, I'm working on. So I think it's a matter of differentiation and listening to the teachers and asking them like, Hey, where are the areas that you want some training on? Um, because giving choice and differentiation, it's the same thing we want our students to have is choice and differentiation. No time, no tools, big expectations. How do you transform school culture without derailing the train? Answer, little wins that bring big changes. The flywheel effect. Harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself. Hello, welcome. My name is Jordan Pruitt, and I'm here with my co-host, Anna Murphy. We're both former educators. Uh, we now work with the Live School team, Sport Your School's Culture Vision. Our show focuses on all the opportunities for little wins. They can create big changes in school culture. The Flywheel Effect is all about sharing stories of admin, school support staff, and other educational change agents that have succeeded in their initial lifts and have created cultures that have so much momentum they grow and improve exponentially. Today we're joined by Andrea Michelle, also known as Educator Andrea. Andrea is an English teacher currently pursuing her PhD in curriculum and instruction. Um, I was introduced to Andrea uh, as likely as a lot of folks have through a TikTok account, Educator Andrea, um, which she talks about school culture, teaching, classroom management, has uh, stories that were particularly interesting to me about high school freshmen because that's what I taught um, before I was an administrator and before I was working with live school. I was a I taught freshman for nine years. So um, I, I like those a lot. Those are those ring very true to me. But um, I'd let you kind of just kind of tell us where you are and you know what, what you've been doing. Okay, so yeah, I teach English 9 and English 10. So I've been teaching freshmen kind of off and on my whole career. My first year teaching, I actually taught seniors and juniors. So I've taught every grade level at this point. Um, I am going into my ninth year teaching at a super big public school in San Diego County um, and currently have ninth and 10th graders. And I love it. It is never boring. <laughs> um, it is usually stressful, but never boring. Um, and yeah, so I've been teaching now for nine years and still loving it. Oh, no, I was going to say, and you're getting your PhD. So like, what has driven you to pursue that? That's, I mean, that's a huge undertaking. <laughs> Yeah. So I, what I want to, like, I sat down actually, this kind of ties into how I ended up getting on social media as well. Cause I had some very small accounts, but didn't really do anything public with my teaching stuff. Um, and I sat down last summer, right around this time last summer, it was like beginning of July last summer. And I created a five-year plan and was like, where do I want to be like in five years? Um, my husband's in grad school and um, I knew that I eventually want to teach teachers to teach. So like future teachers, I want to help train them, give them real like actionable advice that they can have once they enter the classroom. Like that's my 
my end of five years slash maybe 10 year goal is to be there. And then I kind of walked it back and thought, okay, where, what do I need for that? Um, at that point I had two master's degrees. I've got a master's degree in English and a master's degree in secondary education. And I was trying to try like land some adjunct positions at the local community college, teaching education courses and just having no luck. So I was like, well, okay, I guess I'm going to need that PhD after all, because that's why I got the second master's. I thought maybe I wouldn't need the PhD to get a college teaching job. Um, But I realized pretty quickly that that's not the case. So um, I then, oh, I was already in my PhD program at that point. Sorry, I'm mixing up my own timeline. But I had started um, the PhD program with the end goal of uh, going and teaching teachers to teach and then was like, well... I know they really like to have publications, but my, what I really want is when they Google me, I want something to come up that is about education. And so I was like, well, I should probably start like some social media stuff. Um, so I started posting last July and have been posting off and on since then. Well, that's, that's a really good idea. The, um, so what we're going to talk about is school culture and we've got most of our guests have a lot, like a wide range of like positions and backgrounds. I thought yours would be your, your, story would be really interesting, particularly from teaching ninth grade and aspiring to, you know, have a, have a a bigger impact in schools, but also because of what you've kind of went down with the social media stuff, because you're having a big impact now. So I'm really, really happy you came on. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, it's so interesting because when I kind of started posting stuff online, I, I honestly did not expect to have an audience of anyone because I'm like, I, I don't see anything, anybody talking about their experiences in a way that I found very relatable. Like it was always these picture perfect classrooms and mostly it's elementary school teachers on social media posting about these sweet, wonderful moments they're creating in their classroom and it's precious. And I just didn't see any secondary teachers that are like, dead inside and really just like being honest about what we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so I started posting about like the most honest things I possibly could. And it's been really cool because I feel like it's helped a lot of people feel less alone in a time when like education has been really hard and the discourse on social media, especially TikTok has been very negative. Um, and my goal is always to like bring some light and positivity and satire and humor into the into the discussion. Not that problems don't exist, but that you know the reason we're there is because it's actually really fun most days, and it's really cool to be able to like have an impact on the school community and on these kids. Yeah, um, your experience kind of rings a lot true, like similar to like my experience in in schools. Uh, but what you said about elementary teachers is interesting. I, I love elementary teachers too. Uh, my wife is an elementary teacher and like our viewpoints on things are probably closer to what you just said, where it's, you know, the perfect classroom. And then mom was similar to what you were talking about where it's not as clean and, but it's going to be fun. And like, we have, you know, a lot of different experiences that even doing the same thing. Um, so we're going to jump in our first segment. It's, uh, we, it's about change maker and like kind of the career type questions. So listeners are, they're not really, or they're more concerned, you know, with their, with their district. They're also concerned about scaling themselves up. So the first question I wanted to ask you was like what your career was like before you were on social media. And you touched on that a little bit. Um, but how has like this experience over the last year shaped how you're a leader in your school now? I'm curious, touch on this too. Like after you started doing this, cause you've been in your school for a little while. I'm curious how that's impacted like your relationship with staff and teachers as well. 
Yeah. So I actually just became like the ninth grade English team lead. So I'm like now leading and it's a big school. So there's like 15 people teaching English at my school. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's both changed a lot of stuff and changed nothing weirdly. Like, um, I feel like maybe there's a higher expectation on me because I've made my social media education based and created kind of an environment where people know me on social media. So I have students that are going to enter my classroom who have seen me on social media and maybe have like a preconceived notion of what that's going to mean for them. Um, and it's given me like a lot of cool credits that probably are undeserved. <laughs> like They're like, oh, well, she's got followers on social media. She's going to be super fun. And I'm like, you still have to write essays. Like we're like, it will be fun, but we will also be writing essays. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, I think, kept me accountable because I have like, because I've made such a public stance about being a teacher and having a social media presence. Um, I know good and well that if a student is filming me, they're going to get a lot more views for what I do in my classroom because I have a social media presence. And so it's helped keep me accountable and made like made kind of make made me reevaluate how I'm presenting stories in my classroom because I have a lot of parents that follow me on my social media who have thus far been so incredibly supportive and kind. And like, for example, I made a joke about a kid who rode a roller chair all the way from my classroom to the library. And I was so mortified because I was at the front of the group and my student teacher was at the back. So I didn't realize until we were there that he had ridden that stupid chair and broke it on the way to the library. And I was so mortified and I told the story on TikTok and the kid's mom actually teaches at the school. He works at the school. And so the very next day she brought in a bottle of wine for me and was like, I am so sorry. Um, so, I mean, it, if anything, I think it's created like a more positive environment because I really do try and speak supportively of my admin. And I, I make a lot of jokes about professional development, um, but that's more satire. Like I really do try and be supportive of my admin because their job is super hard and I would not want to do it. <laughs> and um, I have not had a direct conversation about the accounts with my admin. Um, I'm, I kind of, I, I think gotta be aware of it at this point. The students are aware of it. One of my principal's daughter is in high school there. So she's gotta be aware of it. Um, but it's one of those that like, as long as like, there's no problems, I think that they're fine to just pretend it doesn't exist right now. <laughs> the, um, the roller chair thing, that that's a thing. If you've never taught in a school where particularly like middle and high schools where they had rolly chairs, cause mine did. And it, it, hijinks ensue. Uh, there's, there's a couple of good things. Cause we had like these, uh, these VR goggles and like, you could push kids in roller chairs with them. So like we did some cool stuff in science with them. But nine out of ten was not real cool stuff. <laughs> it was more like what you were talking about. Um, um, so the next question I want to ask you. So partly because of, of the reach you've got, most of us like have an experience of school like just from like our own lens, like where I went, where I taught, kind of like what it's like in those environments. So I could kind of tell you like what school culture meant to the schools I was in, and how I knew things were going well or not. Um, so like what the last school I was in, I knew, I knew I can, I kind of had a different feel, but pre and post pandemic, like a just a little different vibe in the place, but you likely had interactions with a lot more educators from other places than most people. Um, what is, what would you say stands out as a strong indicator of a good school culture to you? I think the biggest thing is when 
year after year, the teachers come back and the admin sticks around, I think is a really big thing. That's also something I've seen in my research, um, doing my curriculum and development studies and stuff. One of the highlights I saw there as well for school culture was that the principal stuck around for more than like four years, which is almost unheard of for most places. Like I am thinking back over the course of my time teaching and it's very rare to see that. And what I saw in one of the studies I read was it takes about four years for the impact of the school community to really start happening. If the principal's fantastic, like, especially if they had previously had a principal that like there was a really negative kind of community feeling. Um, it wasn't until like after about four years that the culture really started to reap all the benefits of that. Um, which I think makes a lot of sense because even in smaller schools, the principal getting to know and learn the names of and the personalities of all their teachers and all of that, that takes time and it takes intentionality. Um, and I can tell you from the schools that I've been to and the people I've talked to, it's really the fact that like the principal makes an effort to advocate and care about all of the teachers in the same way, like our students want to know that we care. Um, I think it's the same with teachers. They want to feel hear, heard and they want to feel like they're being seen by their administrators. The, uh, the, the four year thing you're talking about, I've heard something similar to for particularly like high school principals. And it's kind of a short lifespan for, for most of them. Um, I've heard you know, even similar things about superintendents uh, that, and that kind of has a indicator of how the district's going as well. Um, so that, that's that's interesting. And you mentioned teachers, and Anna, you probably can speak to this a little bit. Um, just you know, the teachers coming back year to year is going to be a big deal. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this huge. I, I mean, I saw an article. This was months ago, but that fifty percent of teachers were looking to leave the profession. I think that that will happen gradually over time. I don't think fifty percent are leaving this year necessarily, but that teacher retention, I think, is a huge indicator in in districts and in schools in terms of the culture that the principals built. And I've seen it firsthand just from what teachers have told me. And I guess I'm curious, like, I mean, I know, like, you do satire when it comes to like the PDs and whatnot, and looking at like, how can we grow teachers professionally? Like, what do you think as we're going into that back to school season, a principal can do to really set that school culture up for a success so that teachers feel supported right out the gate this year? So that's something I've thought a lot about because nothing drives me nuts more than people who complain without solutions, like, cause that's not benefiting anybody. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and I think one of the main things is to give teachers choice and actually different differentiate. So you're not having a first year teacher in the same room as a teacher who's been teaching for 20 years. Because the first year teacher probably gets that technology stuff a lot easier than the 20 or 30 year veteran. And having the opportunity to give them some choice and be like, hey guys, we're going to be having the teachers run it and these are their specialties and have like kind of a rotation where they can choose from a menu of um, different options and not making the people who are specials stick in with everybody else when it's not applicable because that feels just so patronizing. Um, and, you know, as an English teacher, I'm very spoiled. I feel like almost always it has to do with like English or math. Um, but if I were sitting in a class that was trying to explain to me why I had to include math into my curriculum, I think I would cry because math always makes me cry. And <laughs> so I can, I can empathize with the teachers who are like this, I'm a gym teacher. Like, 
this has nothing to do with what I'm, I'm working on. So I think it's a matter of differentiation and listening to the teachers and asking them like, Hey, where are the areas that you want some training on? Um, because giving choice and differentiation, it's the same thing we want our students to have is choice and differentiation. And I think the teachers would benefit. I mean, and the thing is like, I, I have this weird, like sick desire to run a professional development at some point, but also not because I have been sitting in a professional development that I thought was great. And there were still teachers around me that were like, this is horrible. I can't believe they're doing this. This is so patronizing. Like there's always going to be that person. And I think I'm too sensitive for that. You know? (laughs) So I think that like, there also needs to be understanding, like you're not going to please everyone, but if you can give choices, maybe you'll please most. I've I've been on both sides of that too. I've I've, I've been in a lot of PDs and I've ran some and like, you kind of like, you get real self-aware, like, this is what this is good for everyone in here, that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting you missed the interesting you mentioned um, you mentioned the the choice thing. Uh, we did a webinar last week with a customer from Ohio. She's a um, middle school principal, and she was talking about rolling out a new program. And she just talked about like this slow roll, and then like at Thanksgiving, that was when they had their first like in service day, their PD day, and they did all all sorts of school choice stuff. And she split them up similar to like you said, where they weren't in the same rooms together and it made sense where you had early adopters of the program with some folks who were maybe not as new to it, that kind of stuff. So if, you know, principals are listening, write that one down because it's been on both coasts. They said to do that. So definitely. And I mean, I think that I've like the, the, I think back to the professional developments that have been most beneficial for me. And it was always something like that where they gave us the opportunity and then they gave us a little bit of time to create something for our class with whatever knowledge they're giving us to like really cement it. Um, and have like so, like a resource we can then take and refer back to, I think also is really important. On on the PD thing, because because we're there before before I go on to the next question, that having options and choice. One thing I noticed that helped too was um, at my previous school we used to do like a menu, and we didn't have a we had like a few outside folks they brought in, but we asked a lot of people in the in like the building to do PDs. And so, like, it was a little easier because, like, you could choose to go to the person you PLC with and hear what they got to say. And, like, you just, you get trusted who, who was presenting it. You know what I mean? You get familiarity with them, um, which I think it's also a good leadership opportunity for those folks, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the the other issue is always that people find out how much these PD presenters are getting paid. And it, like, it just feels like salt in the wound, especially when, because, like, it's not admin's fault when, like, like your insurance gets cut or when like it's that's way above admins head like they don't get to make those choices and so like the only thing they can do is just maybe try and bring like give opportunities for the teachers to to present rather than paying 10 grand to dr so-and-so to come in and talk about stuff that they don't feel like is relevant to them so last career question uh and then we'll, we'll have we'll have a quick break after that um Look at education as of right now. What do you think is the biggest rock that needs to be lifted? If, if you could fix one thing, what would you fix? That's such a hard question. Um, but I think the primary issue facing most schools, most teachers, is the mental health of the kids and the mental health of the teachers. Um, we have kids that were home for years and their social emotional development is way behind. And, you know, there was a giant 
letter that came out from the Surgeon General in December of 2021 saying that there is a mental health crisis in youth in our country. It said that we went from one in five kids having major depression or major anxiety to one in three. And like December of 2021. And I don't remember seeing that anywhere. Like I happened to be doing research and came across it. But like that is that's massive. A third of our kids in our classrooms are dealing with that. Like one in three. And if you think about your classrooms, you're like, yes, I see that. <laughs> like that makes more sense that it's not, you know, 20% of your kids, you're looking at a third of your kids. And it's so incredibly challenging to meet all of those needs. And nothing has been done, at least in from what I've seen, to fund the mental health resources for the schools because teachers, you know, we're like the first ones on scene. We can only do so much, but like the counselors are overwrought. They don't have the resources at their like at their disposal to get stuff done. So I think that would be the biggest thing is getting more resources into the schools to help with the mental health of the students and the teachers who have also faced tremendous stress over the past few years. That the um, getting mental health specialists in buildings. I, I came from a, a building that was probably a little ahead of that um, because that had been a, a big push in our district, like for a couple of years before all this happened. So it was a massive help uh, coming back. Um, but I saw, because I was in charge of, of like student discipline and culture initiatives and stuff. I saw a big jump in things that were like real, um, I wouldn't say easy to deal with, but like they're real straightforward, you know, like straightforward issues. This happened. This is what we got to do to things that were, that, you know, we, we got to have to get somebody else involved. You know, I, I need to talk to our mental health folks, our social worker. Those folks are going to have to be involved in this. I saw a big jump in that kind of stuff, like you were saying. Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, it's, it's scary too, because there's so many schools, like all the schools I've worked at pretty much have had at least one counselor. But I mean, the school I'm at right now has almost 3000 kids, and maybe six counselors at the school with varying degrees of experience. And you think about what those numbers mean for them, like they like that they can't have meaningful relationships with that many kids. Um, and I think that just it needs to be overhauled and addressed because the teachers are doing their best to try and have trauma informed practices and stuff like that. But when it's one in three, I think we're all just feeling the the pressure of that. Hey guys, this is Jordan from Life School, and today I want to tell you about the Dulla School of Excellence. They're one of our partners from Chicago, Illinois. In 2021, they set out to improve behavior in their school and improve their school culture. And Larry Williams, who's their culture and climate coordinator, decided to go out setting up a PBS and SEL program. It was important to him that it was measurable, it was easy to manage, and it was compliant with state privacy laws. He succeeded in that in a big way. Dulles had 100% adoption among teachers, 500,000 points earned by students last year. They had a 12 to 1 positive to negative point ratio. That's over 35,000 positive behavior in SEL interactions logged. Cool thing about that is you could do it too. They did it with Live School. If you want to find out how, check us out at whyliveschool.com. We'll jump into our next segment. So uh, the first question we got is, so this one's all about moving the flywheel. This is all about culture initiatives and getting programs going and change management and all that kind of thing. Um, can you share one story of a small change you've led or observed that deliberately changed the culture of a school? So that, that, was, that was the goal and that was the result. So 
you know, as a teacher, it's a little bit harder to see the impact on a larger scale. We usually see an initiative that, you know, if we're leading it, it's usually something that's going to be a little bit smaller to our classroom that then has ripples we don't find out about until a little bit later. Um, and one thing that I did at a small private school, and this, you know, it's so hard because these are the kinds of things that you can get away with at a private school that's really small that you couldn't at a, at a big school like where I am now. But um, we had a Gatsby unit and it was, man, America, I was teaching American Lit at the time, 11th grade. And it's, it was sequential. So you started out with like early American Revolution nonfiction texts. And it was so boring for them. It was so boring for me. We started with the Scarlet Letter. We were all dying. Like we were just so bored. And so I wanted to find something that was going to eventually move into something to like wake them up and give them some enthusiasm. And so part of the American Lit curriculum was Great Gatsby. And so to change kind of the the classroom culture about 11th grade and what it meant to be studying American literature. I threw a giant Gatsby party um, annually and we did it at my house and everyone dressed up in like roaring twenties stuff. I had a little light out in the back of my, um, in my backyard. Um, we had like one of those Halloween inflatable, like man character things that we like float, like put up, put some board shorts on and floated in the pool and uh, like, just tried to like create some excitement and enthusiasm around something that would be really kind of mundane. And I will say that that school did that with a plum, like over and over again, they would find re like ASB was out there doing things like at least once a week, they brought in food trucks. They would do all sorts of things to really create an atmosphere of like, if there was fun to be had, they were going to try and find some fun and put it in there. Um, and you know, it seems so simple, but like we, I think forget about that sometimes because we're trying to meet deadlines. We're trying to meet learning goals and all of that. And individual teachers are so focused on what they got going on that like, if we can make something fun and make it a little bit more exciting, like why wouldn't we do that? Because happier students are more likely to be able to learn, right? Like we, we know this. Um, so something as small as like bringing in food trucks, they would bring in an, as, because we're in Southern California, um, we would bring in a snow machine in like Christmas time and they would like create like a little sledding area for the kids. And you know, all of those things take resources, take money. But that was part of what ASB did is they raised money for that kind of stuff. So um, I think it's just a matter of like trying to find ways to engage kids in a, in a way that they can kind of sync with. And little things too, like working with the seniors on their senior prank so that no one's getting in trouble and nothing is getting destroyed, you know, so that things can be fun when the opportunity arises. And it doesn't have to be like an us versus them kind of mentality. To jump in here, I that was something that I always did with my students, and it was especially so I taught at the Boys and Girls Club, um, and I helped with some of the program management there, and that was something especially in the summer where these kids were with us in camp for twelve hours a day essentially, and we're trying to prevent that um, summer slide and whatnot to keep them motivated and to keep showing up every day and stay engaged. Like that's what we would do is build that in throughout it, and it just completely changed the feel of that club in particular. Like there was so much community built in because students were getting to go off site together and get to go do something. Of course it was supervised, but it really like it, 
over time, it just really compounded having those constant rewards or that funds that we had built into it that students were excited to come every day. Yeah. And I think that that's so, like, it's something so small, but like, if you can get a kid excited to come to school in the morning, like, isn't that the key? Like that's, that's what we want. Even um, if they're, you know, a little overstimulated by the time they get to your class or whatever, like it it's creating an environment where they feel safe, like they can like have fun and get to know people and all of that. And I think that that you know, that's the culture you want in a school is to have a place where kids feel safe and like they can learn and have fun and have their needs met. Yeah. On the senior pranks you're talking about, those go from um, funny, like school experience stuff to like kids are not walking in graduation stuff real quick. So it's, it's really important that somebody helps them. Um, the, uh, I, I like, the, I love the idea of the Gatsby party. I had a friend who he's one of my, one of my best friends, English teacher. And we used to do like we had planning at the same time. So like we, he was planning different things to me. I taught physics, but he was doing Romeo and Juliet. I don't. I assume that's probably a ninth grade thing. But um, he had like ten different media versions of Romeo and Juliet. He had embedded in this thing. But just it, whatever he could do to make it interesting, he, he tried. Which that uh, he probably should have had a, a dress up party. It sounds like that would have worked well. Um. The, the next thing I want to ask you about. Same question, but have you ever like, and maybe you, maybe you were a part of it or maybe you saw it like a, a change initiative, something that didn't work, it failed. Yeah. So I think about the challenge with um, like the big, the big push right now in schools and everything is that we want to have restorative justice and we want to have trauma-informed learning. And I've seen that go really well in a lot of situations where, you know, relationships are good and all of that. Um, and I've also seen it kind of be mishandled in some, and this is more what I've heard from teachers from other schools um, and seen to a minor extent in some of the schools I've been in where, um, what that has looked like instead of, you know, restorative justice is like there was zero consequence for the behavior. And so therefore the behavior was repeated because it didn't have any teeth because the kid was like, well, who cares? I'm just going to have to sit there and write an apology letter. Like I can do that in five seconds. That's no problem. And so it created kind of an environment where the kids felt like they were running the school and um, the teachers felt really powerless and like they could, they couldn't count on admin to back them up. Um, and I think part of that needs to be like somewhat communication because I know for me, there were times where I found stuff out like long after the fact they're like, oh, well, what did you document? And I was like, what are you, what document, what, what are you talking about? Because that expectation had never been told to me. I had never been told like, well, the first time you talked to, you know, they, they said you need to have these three warnings. They did not say you need to document these three warnings so that we have it on paper and we have it somewhere else other than in your brain that, you know, you've warned them three times. Um, and so I think that it, it's not so much that it's a bad idea or that it has failed so much as like, it needs to be kind of tightened up and run in maybe a, a better way that's a little bit more communicative in some of the communities that I've, I've been a part of, um, where I think that it, there ended up being strife where it didn't need to happen because the communication was lacking. Um, that particular one, I've, I've got a little bit of experience with it's that that's kind of a, it's kind of a common concern. And I think it's exactly for what you're, the reason you were saying, cause it, it's a, it's a strategy that like the whole group has got to be involved in for it to be effective. You know what I mean? And if it's, 
if it's like just still using kind of the same like traditional methods of like send them to this person and they do the discipline that doesn't really do what you're looking for there um, so that that one's it's if everyone's not on the same page it's easy for that one to fail um the the last question i was going to ask is what advice would you give educators who are trying to find ways to improve culture in a way that can be scaled and sustained and you you could talk about um it, at any level you could talk about teacher or you know administrator or district person or however you know i think i think there's a few things and it and it's hard right as an educator because a lot of times we're in our little like microchasm of our classroom and so that's what we're focused on and I think that's the first thing that we do is we try and make sure that our little mini community is healthy and doing what it should be and is a positive space for the students. Um, and I think that a, a big part of it as well is if you are upset about something and it is not a rule that admin created, then you need to talk to the people who created it, which is almost always the school board. And you need to address it with the people who are actually in charge of making those changes and advocate respectfully um, for the things that you think are important. So like you can't be mad at your like there's a book I have to read this summer and I am annoyed that I have to read this book <laughs> because we're not given any time. We're just told you need to read it. But of course, we have that like continuing education clause. So we have to read it. Um, and admin told us that on the last day before we left for summer, they're like, by the way, you have to read this book. Have fun. Bye. And um, there were some teachers that were like really mad at admin. And I'm like, but, like, this is, they didn't buy the book. Like literally they said, like, this is something the school district is handing to us from our, you know, our bosses handed it to us and all the schools in the entire County have to read, like read it. And so I think it's also kind of a shift of attitude of having empathy for the people that are leading us as well as the people we're leading ourselves, you know, like we're leading our students and we always think about what they're going through. I really think like as a teacher myself, I forget sometimes how incredibly challenging it would be to have a staff of 130 who are all mad at me for different reasons. I could not do it. I can tell you for sure I could not do it because sometimes the job of an admin is to be the bad guy to the kids, to the teachers, to do all of that. Um, and a lot of times you're just being hated for things that you didn't even, like it wasn't even your choice, how all of everything kind of fell out. Um, and so I think that's like, you, you kind of focus on your little, your classroom and trying to make sure that that environment is healthy. And if you see things are unhealthy on the outside, then speak to the, the people who are like the change makers, the people making those choices and come with solutions. Um, cause that's the other thing that drives me nuts is like when people are complaining without solutions, um, cause I, I see that a lot and I, I get it. Sometimes we're just venting and we just need to vent. Um, but at a certain point it just becomes whining and not venting, which is not helpful for anyone. It, it's really easy to get like siloed cause you have your own little, um, your own little world in your classroom and, um, you know, it's, you, you take care of your little world and like, you kind of forget about what's happening in all, all the other places, but like they are connected. Um, and I kind of like what you were saying about, you know, sometimes it's, I had that, I had a similar experience about it as an administrator. Like I kind of missed my silo at some point, you know, like <laughs> I wish I had my own little world I could control and not the all of it. Um, so I, I can, that's, that's, that's probably true for most folks everywhere. Yeah. Well, um, Anna, do you got anything you want to ask Andrew? Uh, I don't want to take up too much for time. We're probably you know close to the end of here. I've just learned so much and really enjoyed talking. And I just think I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm a very solution oriented person and I get frustrated easily when other people aren't, let's, let's say, um, it, it doesn't matter professionally, personally, it's all of that. 
Um, I know I've like done it to my husband before. And I'm like, we have to find a like, what's the solution though? And I think it is there. I have found when I've been in work environments, both in schools and out of schools where like you, obviously you have your coworkers, you feel like you can complain to and whatnot, but I've always enjoyed the people most who try to pull us out of that. And I think, you know, recognizing like you can only control what you can control and that complaining about it sometimes isn't going to get you very far and it's only going to bring you down and others down. And I think looking at like sometimes just trying shifting, I think your perspective a lot when there's things you can't control. I, I don't know. I, I just think like it's such a positive outlook too and, and causes you to have a better experience no matter what you're doing. Part of what my, my dissertation focuses on the way that stress impacts this, impacts first year teachers relationships with their students. And so one of the things I've been looking at is um, some studies basically came out and looked at that first year and said, like, if you have a negative first year, you're more likely to view like your whole teaching career as just negative. Even if you had the exact same experiences as somebody else who framed it in a more positive light. And, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope to toxic positivity and that's not what I'm saying we should do. Um, but it's kind of framing it in a way that is healthy and honest and like a true assessment of what's going on. Um, and have being more solution oriented where you're like, this is not okay. I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm also like, there, there are solutions to these problems and we should, you know, seek those solutions. That, that, that's a really interesting uh, dissertation topic because I mean, as soon as you said that, I thought of like my first year of teaching. It was like I had a bunch of cool stories and I met some cool people. I had like so I had a positive outlook as a result of that. It was not my worst year by far. Um, now there's a couple years there where like I would have had a much different outlook if I had I started there. Um, and that's kind of something I've seen like a lot of schools and, and districts and in, in, in states they they look into like that transition year for the first year teacher and like they do mentorship programs or like. They, they they do all sorts of different programs, but sometimes I don't think we do those with fidelity. It's just sort of something that's there, you know, um, but like that making that transition good for folks out of college or even not out of college, maybe it's a second career for them, but making them successful that first year, I think is a big deal. It's been really, do. really interesting as I'm reading through this, because, you know, we've all heard that statistic that like half of the teachers are gone after five years and all of that and trying to figure out like, how can we make that support like not a nice to have, but a need to have for new teachers? Because like you said, like I, I've had various experiences switching schools where sometimes I felt like I was really supported. Other times they just kind of like threw me into it. And I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? And there was like maybe one person to speak to. Um, and that's something I've seen with a lot of the emails I'm getting from new teachers that are like panicked that are like, I haven't seen my classroom. I don't know what books I'm going to have. I have no idea what my curriculum is going to be. Like from the moment you offer a teacher a job, give them three people they can call that are on their curriculum team that they can get stuff from and get an idea because that's something that like every like the most panicked people who email me and like emailing me, like I can do, like, I basically just tell them, call the secretary and ask for the department head for whatever department you're going to be in. Um, but I mean, if, if admin can do that for their new teachers, I think they're going to see a lot better start for their new teachers because they want to do well. If they stuck out all of the negativity and all of that and are still becoming a teacher this year as a first year teacher right now, they want so badly for it to be good. And like the least we could do is try and support that and try and make it a little bit easier for them. 
so I had to, I had the experience of like, I, I changed schools a couple of times. I was a, I was a coach and that's kind of a thing for coaches is like you change schools. It happens. Um, but so like that, um, like you said, like the new teacher orientation, that, that, that was very different in a lot of places, but the thing I always wish they would have just led with is just give me all my passwords <laughs> for everything I'm going to need. Yeah, exactly. Give me all my passwords. Tell me who the janitor is and the tech person and like who the secretary is. Those are the people you need to know. Yeah. And that's that, that they're good for five years there if you know them. So, Well, Andrew, thank you very much for your time. We're, we're kind of nearing our time. Um, so um, when, when this post we'll we'll put out your website and uh, social media handles. Do you have um, social media outside of TikTok or are you on Instagram and all that kind of stuff too? Yeah, I've got an Instagram. It's the same tag basically. It's educator underscore Andrea because exactly educator Andrea wasn't available. But yeah, same basic tag and they can find it in my bio on TikTok as well. I'm trying to think. Right now I'm just working on my dissertation. I, do, I am going to have a book um, coming down the pipe. If I can survive this year with my dissertation and get that book done, by next year, it will be a miracle um, of epic proportions. I am working on it. I also have a Patreon that I work with teachers one-on-one and we meet once a month to answer questions and they get access to all of my resources on my website. Um, And that's just to kind of help along the teachers that are like in desperate need of help now and my book's not done yet. So um, I do have kind of those resources available for them in the meantime. Cool. Well, we'll include all that in the show description when we post. Um, And when you want to publish your book, we'll, we'll bring you back on. You're, you're more than welcome. So Awesome. Thank you so much. The Flywheel Effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.